you have a Bible, go to Luke 1, please. That's uh, page 855, if you're using uh, one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. So we are in a series, an Advent series here. Um, it's called The Women of Christmas. Uh, we've been looking at how the Lord has uh, used different women in the story of Christmas and in a very unique and special way. First of all, we looked at his genealogy in Matthew 1, of how there are five women listed in the genealogy, and that was uh, somewhat unusual. It wasn't unprecedented, but it was unusual to include women in the genealogical line. Uh, but it wasn't just like uh, just the fact that women were in it. It was that each one of them have, were dealing with some type of a shame or something. And we, we focused in on Rahab, who, of course, the Old Testament uh, uh, tells a story about her and how she was a prostitute and that God used her uh, in, a, in a great way, and she believed in God, and God changed her. It was just a wonderful story about how that uh, no matter your place in life, uh, God has a place for you, uh, particularly in His family tree. That's possible. Uh, then we, last week we looked at Mary, um, when that was from you know, Luke uh, 1 and, and, as well here, and we saw that how that Mary, even though... Um, uh, she had questions about God's plan. She didn't question God's plan. And we also saw that how she embraced the journey as well as the destination. And knowing that it was going to be a difficult road ahead of her, what God was asking her to do, she still embraced it. And so she was someone that we can uh, appreciate and, and learn from. And so today, well, who we're going to look at, we're going to look at uh, Elizabeth, a family member actually of Mary. And we're going to uh, find out a little bit about her. So let me read the text, and then uh, we'll, we'll begin. This is Luke 1. Uh, in verse 5, it says this, In the days of Herod, king of jo Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now he was serving as, as he was, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. Now, I read this text last week, and Tom afterwards told me that he was questioning the wisdom of Zechariah in this moment here. 
okay? Uh, he said it was better. He says, well, I'm old and she's advanced in years, but Tom and I were discussing that probably Zachariah should just avoided the topic altogether, but, but we digress. Anyway, so my wife is advanced in years, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. You may want to turn the page, or if you go down to verse 39, this is when Mary then goes to visit Elizabeth. Verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause now. We have read your word, and we want to pause and just ask that um, whatever we say now and the things that are discussed now would be accurate to the text, and it would be clear. And fathers, I have this, this tremendous privilege to stand in front of these people and talk about this text of Scripture, talk about Elizabeth. I pray that I would be led by your Spirit in that. I, I, I pray that you would guide our, our time together here, and that um, it would be helpful to, to all of us, myself, my own, my own heart first, and everyone who's listening. Father, please give us uh, attention, remove distractions, so that we can, we can hear and, and we can sense what you're doing in our lives as a result of looking at this text. So thank you. Thank you for this time, and we, we give this to you, asking you for your help and your guidance and for your sanction. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You know, if you saw it back in, in verse 6, it made, Luke makes it very clear that uh, Elizabeth is a righteous woman and that she obeyed God and she lived a life that we all would look at and say, now there was someone who loved God or there was someone who was very careful with how they lived their lives. And she was a, a very, very righteous lady here. And, and what I want to do in just a few minutes that we have together here this morning is I want to talk a little bit about why we should appreciate Elizabeth and how maybe we should emulate her because she uh, was someone that we can look up to. I, I only have two ways I want to share that with you this morning. And uh, let me just give you the first one and, and, and we'll dive in. The first one is this, is that Elizabeth didn't let disappointment turn into bitterness. Okay? This is one of the ways that she was a very special lady and that we can emulate her is that she didn't let disappointments in life turn into bitterness. Because I mentioned a second ago here, and we read in the text how that she was a very righteous lady, but the Bible makes it very clear, and there it says, but she 
or but they had no children. Many of you have walked that path, and many of you understand the difficulty of that. Many of you understand how that, that's a trial at times, and, and many of us in this room have felt those, those pains that go along with that. But it, it, even in our culture today, even though we can understand a little bit of how the pain is, I don't think we fully understand what someone like Elizabeth was dealing with back in her day in her, in her culture. Because for, for them in their culture, that was actually a lot of people would assume that this was a curse of God or that they would assume that this was something that God had, had uh, uh, withheld from them because of some type of sin in their life. And so this was the assumption. And so for a, a woman not to be able to have children, was, uh, it, was a, it was a very, very serious deal. And it was something that that uh, caused a lot of shame and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, heartache and anxiety. And, and we know from the text here that we have Elizabeth, who she was, had lived her, her life of childbearing years, and those days were done. And, and so this is the reason why Zechariah is so surprised by this. When the angel says that they're going to have a child, he says, we're both old and we're, we're both past that time in our lives. It was, a, it was a tremendous, shockingly thing. And so this was a life that she lived of disappointment in a lot of ways. Because if you look at the text here, it says that they were righteous and they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And this was something that the way it's written, it says that this is what they did continually. This is what they did in their whole life. And so this was a woman, we're focusing on Elizabeth here. She was just devoted to God, even though what she was longing for was not being granted to her. And somehow, and in some way, she didn't let that turn into bitterness because if it had turned into bitterness, then she wouldn't have been responding in the way that she responded. She wouldn't have responded in faith. She probably wouldn't have continued serving God had it turned into bitterness. See, she was a woman who was willing to serve God even though there was disappointment in her life. There's a few things I think we can learn from that. And the first is that obeying God does not guarantee that our life will be easy. Uh, living a life of devotion to God doesn't mean that we're never going to have disappointments and we're never going to have trials in our lives. In fact, and sometimes there's this assumption that if I obey God, then He will give me what I want. And quite simply, that's not the way it goes. We don't know why God chooses to give things and why he chooses not to give things. We don't always know all the details. We don't always know all the reasons why ever, of what goes into those things. But we do know that the Bible is very clear that over and over again, there are people who they long for something and they did not get it because God had something different planned for them. And so it's the people who trust God. It's the people who say, okay, I understand this, I, 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 or I don't understand all the reasons for it, but I understand that this request is being denied, and so I'm going to continue to serve you. Yeah, regardless, this is what made Elizabeth so special, is that the thing that she wanted the most in life was being denied to her, and yet she continued to serve God. She continued to love God because she trusted God. She trusted that God had something better for her or had a, 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 a wise plan in place that she was walking in. And so obeying God doesn't guarantee freedom from disappointment or frustration. It's not a, 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 a promise or a guarantee for ease and comfort in this life. And the reason why I think we struggle with disappointment so much, and the reason why I think that we struggle when we don't get what we want in life is because we tie it to God's approval. And so what I want to tell you today is that, that a disappointment in life 
does not necessarily mean that God is disappointed in you. Because we know that's the case with Elizabeth here, is that God definitely wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, disappointed in her. She was living the life he had asked her to live. But yet she didn't get what she wanted. I think it's a mistake that many of us make so many times is that when we get a disappointment in life, we automatically jump to the conclusion that God must be disappointed in me. And that's the reason why I'm not getting what I want. So let me just encourage you today and say, that's not true. Because this life is not about us doing enough good things to get God to like us enough or to get God to to smile upon us enough so then we can get what we want. This life is about following God who has the plan for us, who knows better than us, even the things that we want the most. And there have been times in my life, and, and we shared some of these things with you, where we have longed for something and God has said no to for a long time. And we just have to follow him. And it's tough. It's difficult. But let me just liberate you from the fact that you don't have to automatically go to this conclusion that God must be disappointed in you. See, this is what, what people were doing to Elizabeth. This is why in verse 25, she says, The Lord has done for me when he looked upon me and to take away, did you notice this? My reproach among people. He didn't say to take away the reproach from God. He said the reproach from people there. Because this is the mistake we often make. So let me just encourage you that that what may feel like punishment or what may feel like abandonment or what may feel like a coldness or a distance from God may just be him setting the scene for something greater and something far better than you can ever imagine. And it takes time. This is what was going on with Elizabeth. She was able to give birth to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, by all accounts, even by Jesus, I mean, no one greater than John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was able to take part in that redemptive plan. And it was disgrace. She was feeling disgrace because people were assuming God was disappointed in her. And nothing could have been further than the truth. And so my encouragement to us today is we follow God. Regardless of what people may assume, we follow God. And we follow Him knowing that He has what's best in mind and is greater than we can imagine. And so the question that when we're going through suffering is not, why is God doing this to me? That's not the question Elizabeth was asking. The question is, how can I glorify God through this? And so as we we look at Elizabeth and we see she is someone, she was a tremendous woman who God used in his redemptive plan. In his plan, one of the things that God used her in so many ways is that because her disappointment didn't lead to bitterness and she continued to serve God, even though she wasn't getting what she earnestly desired in this life. So that's one way we can uh, appreciate Elizabeth and we can learn from her. I think there's another part in the text is that um, Elizabeth embraced incomplete information. Okay? Hey, I don't know if you, you, you pick up on this and everything, but, but we have no evidence in this text here to suggest that Elizabeth understood why she was not having a child. In fact, every, po- every evidence points to the, the contrary, that she didn't know what was going on. She didn't understand why. So that piece of information was withheld from her. Yet, on the other hand, I don't know if you noticed when we read in, in uh, verses 39 through 45, that she recognized Jesus as the Messiah immediately. 
And it was because the Spirit of God revealed that to her. It wasn't because someone told her. No one else had known this. Mary was the only one that, Mary and Joseph were the only ones that have known this, and they weren't near each other. And so Mary had to travel to Elizabeth. And so the only way that Elizabeth knew that Jesus was the Messiah was because the Holy Spirit told her that and impressed upon her heart. And we know that because of verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. And that's when she recognizes the Messiah. So here's the point. On one hand, she didn't have complete data. On one hand, she didn't understand what was going on. And everyone else assumed to know what was going on, but she didn't have any clue what was going on of why God was denying this request to her. But on the other hand, she had knowledge and she had information before most everybody else in this world. And the difference was is that in one case, God chose not to tell her. And in the other case, God did choose to tell her. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm someone who I I have to know, okay? I just have to know. Like, if there's there's a a book I'm reading and and there's a storyline in it or something like that, I can't just not finish the book, right? I mean, even if if you, you know uh, how you think it's going to end, you still have to finish. At least I'm that way. I'm wired that way. Um, I've been playing, uh, there's an app on my phone. It's the chess app, and I've been playing chess. with. I, use, I play with my dad uh, quite a bit. And uh, recently, uh, Michael Porto and I have been playing chess back and forth. We play chess completely differently, okay? Um, I play to the bitter end, even if I know I'm going to lose. Porto, on the other hand, as soon as, and all of his friends call him Porto, by the way. Um, uh, Porto, on the other hand, he's, he, as soon as, he, where's Mike? Is Mike in here? Where's Mike at? I'm picking on you. Okay. Okay. So him, on the other hand, as soon as he knows he's done, resign. He's done. He's like, I'm moving on with my life. Okay, it's not that important. Me, on the other hand, we had a game just the other day where I, I, was, I was getting killed by, absolutely killed by, and we saw each other yesterday uh, at the church here. Our small group was here, and, and uh, he says, see, I would have resigned a long time ago, Jeremy, here. You know, like, what's the point? I'm like, hey, I got to see this to the end, okay? I have to know how it's going to, I have to know if he's going to make a really bonehead mistake, and then I can actually win this thing. It didn't happen, by the way. Um, So I have to see things through the end. I have to know. I have to know how it ends. And so when God chooses to let me in on the story, I really like that. But when God chooses to keep me outside and I don't understand all the reasons, I got to admit, I struggle at times. I struggle with knowing and not knowing, really, of, of why this is happening or why this isn't happening. But one of the things about Elizabeth that we can look to and we can appreciate and we can say this was someone who God was really blessing and that she was someone who loved God was that she was apparently, she grew to the point where she was okay with incomplete data. She didn't have to have all the story because she responded to what God revealed to her and she trusted when God did not. So some things are clear with God and some things are actually confusing. I will be the first to admit that. But here's the point where we can take away from this, is that what God makes clear is most crucial. 
Okay, so whatever he does make clear to you is the most important thing. And whatever's confusing obviously isn't the most crucial thing. And so for Elizabeth, the most crucial thing for her to know was that Jesus was the Messiah and that John the Baptist was going to have an active role in the ministry of the Messiah. That was crucial for her to know. God revealed it to her. There are things that God is withholding from letting you know about or letting me know about, but there are also many things that he has made abundantly clear. He's made it very clear that he is good. He's made it very clear in the scriptures that we can trust him because it always works out when the the final chapter is written and when it gets played out, we look back and say, got it, now I see. We can trust him because he's good. We can trust him because he's in control. He's powerful. You've heard me say this many times, that if we believe two things about God, we can get through any trial in life, and that is that he's good and that he's sovereign. And so if we believe those things because he's made it abundantly clear, that's the most crucial thing. He's made it very clear of how we can know we have eternal life, of how we can have forgiveness of sins. He's made it very clear that without Jesus, we have no hope before God, that without Jesus, that we are condemned. But with Jesus, we can be forgiven. He's made that very clear. That's what's most crucial. The other things in life, sometimes it's it's hidden from us, and I wish I could give you the answer to some things. Many of you are going through some tough times, and I wish I could tell you I knew why, but I don't. But I know that God is powerful and he's good, and you can get through this. Elizabeth, she got through a tremendous trial because she was okay with information being clear in the things that were most crucial to her. And so what is clear is most crucial. But another thing we can take from this is that the the things that are clear makes the confusing things palatable. Okay, because when we can trust God that he is so good and we see the clarity of what he's shown us of, of his majesty and his holiness and his grace and his mercy and his love, we can see all those things so clear that then when there's the confusing parts in life, that makes it palatable for us so that we can live through it. Because we can trust what has been made abundantly clear to us. And so God gives us the information that is best for us to have. And that is often frustratingly limited. (laughs) But it is best. But not only it is best for us, it is enough. What God has revealed to us is enough for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. But more importantly, to fulfill what we're created to do. And so... The clear is most crucial. The clear makes the confusing palatable. It's best and it's enough. We go back to Elizabeth here. She didn't let the confusing part of her life, of her childlessness, deter her from acting on what she knew was clear. And that is Jesus, that that God was worth obedience, and that eventually Jesus was the Messiah. And so we can learn from Elizabeth here. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Elizabeth's examples to us is much more than just fodder for happy living or how we can do better. Her refusal to let disappointment turn into bitterness and her willingness to be content with incomplete data points us to another more perfect example. And I have to close with this. Elizabeth points us to Jesus. And here's the way how she does this. You see, Jesus' life on earth was not easy Yet, he never turned bitter towards God. 
Jesus' life on on this earth was was full of frustrations and and disappointments at times, and yet he never railed against God the Father. He he never grew bitter against the Father. There was never a time in his earthly ministry where Jesus says, God, I'm really tired of this. I'm really tired that you have made me do this. Or, Or he never did that. In fact, he was completely about fulfilling the Father's plan. And after saying, this is, this is the beauty of Christmas here, okay? That, that God became a man so that he could live among us and so he could experience life like us and so he could feel this. Hebrew says he was tempted in every point we are yet without sin. We know he felt the limitations. We know he felt disappointments in life. We know he was tired. We know he was hungry at times. And yet never once did he grow bitter to the father. Never once. And so Elizabeth in her imperfect example points us to the perfect example of Christ. And yet Also, in his humanity, one of the things that Jesus did, and this is uh, Philippians chapter 2, where he willingly put some things aside, and part of that was his omniscience. And some of the things, some of the times in his earthly ministry, he did know things beyond human ability. But often, there were things that he didn't know particularly when the hour was supposed to come or when the return of him would be. He says, no one knows that. Not even I know that. It was a limitation that he embraced for a short time so that he could relate to us. And so this incomplete data, this this temptation to be bitter or something like this or going through life uh, uh, difficulty and disappointments, Jesus felt those things and he lived that way so he can relate to us. And so this Christmas season, when, when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, it's more than just a, a baby being born. It's more than just all the traditions and things like that. This is God becoming like us so he can relate to us and we can relate to him. And so the God you serve is someone who understands your disappointments in life. And so God of the Bible is someone who understands the frustrations of limited information. I'll close with this. There was a conversation I had recently, I think I told some of you about it, where someone said, they told me this, they said, you know, it's like we're all going up the same mountain. And different religions have different ways to get there. And so we're all trying to get to the same mountain to be with God. And you have your path and I have my path, but we're all really trying to get to the same place. You know, I've been pondering that, and that's not a... That's not an uncommon analogy to be used. But here's where it's different. You know, what if, what if the God or the person at the top of the mountain, what if instead of him waiting for you and me to get to him, what if he came down to the mountain, the base of the mountain? He says, I want to be like you, and let's go. You see, that's the difference. See, the God of the Bible doesn't just sit up in heaven and wait for us to ascend to him. Jesus coming to earth is proof that he sent his son to relate to us, to go through the disappointments, to go through the incomplete data, go through the frustrations of life so that we could follow him. You see, Elizabeth points to us, points us to Jesus in this. 
is let me encourage you this Christmas season, as you're thinking about all the, the traditions, you're thinking about the text of Scripture and things like that, let me just encourage you to look at someone like Elizabeth and see how she points us to Jesus, that we can trust God. He is worthy to be trusted, and that even though we don't always get the, all the story and all the data, he is worthy of our trust because what he has made clear helps us in the unclear moments. And let us trust God that just because we're facing disappointments in life, it doesn't mean that God is ticked off with us. It means that he's trying to do something in our life and we're to follow him. See, these are things that we can learn from these great women of the story of Christmas. Let's pray and then we'll sing some more. Father, I do pray that our time together looking at Elizabeth's life would be uh, helpful. I pray that uh, we would uh, love you and follow you. I pray that in the disappointments that we all face, that we would realize that that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're angry with us, uh, that it could mean that you're just setting up something better for us better for your plan and for your namesake. And Father, I pray that we trust in you and I pray that we would love you and I pray that we would be willing to trust you even when we don't have the full picture or all the data because what you have made clear is enough and is best for us. So now, Lord, may we praise you with these songs that we sing. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.